This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. My name is Margie Fawcett, and I serve as a deacon here at Church of the Resurrection, which right now means that I am leading our small group ministry and doing pastoral care. So I'm very glad to bring you our next teaching from the book of Colossians. When I was in the fourth grade, my parents brought our family from Indianapolis, where I grew up, to Chicago to do all the tourist things. And it was really fun. One of the things that we did was to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. And while we were there, as was our custom as a family, we all wanted to do different things. And so I decided I wanted to do something different, and so we worked out with my parents that I would meet them at this certain place at a certain time. So I showed up at what I thought was the certain place and the certain time, and they were not there. And I started off just waiting, you know, just a little bit irritated, and then I was like really afraid because I was in a completely unknown city in a giant museum. I had no idea where my family was. I remembered what you're supposed to do when you're in an emergency and you're in the fourth grade. And I went to a security guard and I said, I can't find my parents. And he was so kindly took me and um, he gave me a little coloring book and sat me down inside uh, like this security booth kind of thing. So I was sitting in there, it's in the middle of this huge busy hallway with people everywhere surrounded by like plexiglass, like pretending to care about this coloring book. And um, I remember the thought that I had was, I was telling myself this, at the end of this day, I will be in the hotel room with my family, tucked safely in bed. I couldn't imagine how that was going to happen, but I told myself this was the inevitable end of this day. I think it's interesting that in an uncertain time, my little young mind went to the end of the day, to the end of the story, to my confidence that somehow my parents would find me and this would end well. You have parents who love you, they will show up, and you will be together tonight. And here in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that in the midst of the uncertainties of life, the truth is that you have been rescued. Your life is at home with God. And the knowledge of his love and his action on your behalf can impact the way you live in uncertain moments. Paul is asking us to keep our minds set on the inevitable reality that we will be found with God forever, that we are hidden with Christ right now. We are to think of it, to remember it, to ponder it, to ask the Spirit to minister that truth to our lives now. In today's text, the Lord Jesus invites you to know that you are hidden in the heart of Christ. He has taken you into the presence of the Father, and Jesus wants you to experience this reality. There are three aspects of this reality of our hiddenness in Jesus that I'm going to talk about today. The first is God's action in our hiddenness, verses 1 through 4. The second, the snags to our hiddenness in Jesus, verses 5 through 11. And three, one step to experience our hiddenness in Jesus. So three things, God's action in our hiddenness, 
the snags to our hiddenness, and one step to experience our hiddenness in Jesus. Now, these first four verses of Colossians 3, 1 through 4, remind us of what Christ has done for us. We are the recipients of God's incredible love. He's been teaching us throughout this letter with clear and strong words that help us see what has really happened for us in Christ. So from chapter 1, we hear this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. Having been, in chapter 2, having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith. And you were dead in your trespasses, and God made you alive. From today's passage, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen to these action words, these strong verbs, delivered, transferred, buried, raised, made alive, hidden. Who is the actor of these verbs? It's Jesus. Jesus is the center. He is the life, and we are the recipients. Thanks be to God. Knowing all these things are true, Paul urges us to seek these things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father because he has accomplished his mission. You are already loved, already cleansed, delivered, alive. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, how can we be hidden in Jesus? It's by his wounds. He gives us access to his life through the opening of his body. We can be hidden in his death and also in his resurrection. He gives his life in death, and we join our lives to his in the water of baptism. Imagine your life given to Christ as it goes beneath the water in that font. You go down into the water, and up from the water you rise, now made alive by Jesus' resurrection. When we're baptized into his death and resurrection, we have access to him, to all of him, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, his love, his strength, his wisdom our lives given wholly into the loving hands of the Father. It makes me think of when my little girl was just about three or four years old. She was sleeping in a toddler bed. I would go in there at night and try to find her among all the piles of stuffed animals. I would sit down on the floor next to her little bed and tuck her in. I would say, Charlotte, I'm tucking you in with blankets. You are safe and cozy and loved. But more than that, you are tucked into the love of Jesus. You are surrounded by his love. He is wrapped around you like this blanket. You belong to him. He will never let you go. And you can rest now, tucked in his love. 
Another way to think about being hidden in Jesus is something that I learned from Deacon Val's spiritual exercises class. In this class, we entered into each part of Jesus' life through reading and reflection and prayer. Often, you and I can find ourselves in some aspect of Jesus' life, from his birth, through his childhood, his baptism, his time in the wilderness, his ministry years, his death and resurrection. So maybe today you find yourself in a wilderness season. Perhaps like Jesus, after a wonderful and joyful time of affirmation and blessing from the Lord, you find yourself in a desert and all you can see is hot sand all around. You face hunger, thirst, and temptation. Hide yourself with Jesus in the wilderness. Read those accounts of Christ and pay attention. What does he do? Where does he gain strength? How can you ask for his strength in your wilderness? He has been there and he's with you right now. Or maybe in the midst of intense years of business and hard work, you find yourself observing Jesus in his ministry years. He was surrounded by work, more than he could possibly do. He was working both with his own small team, but also with vast needs of those seeking his help. He went from one crowd to another, sometimes being with people and serving them late into the night. He could not catch a break. In your own intense years of work, how can you find yourself, hide yourself in Jesus' ministry years? How does he work? How does he rest? How can your own work be filled with the life of Jesus, filled with his wisdom and strength? He's not only waiting to be with you in glory, but wants to join your work now because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Even in the midst of a wilderness or intense work, anything that you're experiencing, you can find your life hidden with Christ. At the end of the day, your Father will come for you, but even now, you are tucked into his love. So as we move to the next section, with strong action verbs for us, put to death, put off. We start here as recipients of God's love, already hidden in him and carried in his heart. So moving to the second aspect, Paul exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because he's a good father, we can trust his love, even when it means trusting his way over your own. This is our primary temptation, to construct our lives as if we are at the center, which dishonors God, dishonors ourselves, and dishonors each other. What are the snags for us in living our lives as if we are hidden in Christ? Paul focuses on two sins, sexual sin and sins of anger. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now look at verse 8. You must put them all away, anger, 
wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Strong verbs for us, put to death, put them all away. Now, Paul lists sins that include outward actions as well as inner attitudes, thoughts, and feelings. And we should put to death anything we still think about, do, or say that dishonors others or our true identity in Christ. We dishonor our own bodies and minds with impure sexual thoughts and actions, malicious thoughts and words, as well as any other way we put ourselves at the center. Your life is not the center. It is hidden with Christ in God. These are opportunity to, opportunities for us to grow in dignity, in agency, and to participate in becoming holy. I remember a number of years ago when my son was a very little boy, he looked up at me on a Sunday morning and he said, I thought being a Christian was just Jesus loving me and me loving Jesus. Why do we always have all these sermons that make it sound so confusing and complicated? <laughs> I said, oh, you're exactly right. Well, I mean, hopefully not about sermons being confusing and complicated, um, but you are exactly right. That is the essence of it. That is the heart of it, is that Jesus loves you and you love him. Well, what I didn't say to him then, because he wasn't ready for it, is this. At some point, you see those legs you have? At some point, you're going to want to run with those legs, and you're going to want to lift heavy things and do hard things. You're going to want to put your own stake in the ground with a good will and ask every part of your body and soul to join you in obeying Jesus and becoming more like him. And so, Paul says, sexual immorality. It's a physical action. But then he lists impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. These are inner thoughts or states of mind. Having a sexual thought isn't something that you can control. The thought pops into your mind, and here you have a choice. You can let that thought pass on through, or you can grab onto it and feed it. Find images that pour gasoline on the fire. You can let your imagination make you the center. Instead of feeding your heart, good food. It's like eating dirt, and your own strength and integrity of soul is diminished over time. When we put to death sexual immorality, what are we putting to death? Our craving to be satisfied on our own terms, to be fulfilled, to take what we want. And who of us has not tried in many ways to heal our own loneliness or sense of dissatisfaction. The world tells us you must live in utter fulfillment. That is not true. Those of you having physical or virtual encounters with person after person are experiencing an erosion of the beautiful inner life the Lord desires for you. Perhaps you're driven by fear of being alone or that you are not lovable. So the real cry of your heart goes unmet, and you are a slave to passions that further erode your well-being 
Instead of becoming more and more outwardly engaged and creative, you participate in a numbing and stunting lie that you are the best one to determine what fulfillment looks like for you. We all nurture fantasies of what an amazing life should look like for us. And we get upset when life doesn't go the way we think it should. To let go of taking and grabbing the fulfillment that we want, we would have to open our hands, let that go, let it die, and trust that in our hands will be given true life, true fulfillment. It takes a tremendous amount of courage. We all try to pursue fulfillment in various ways. So I'm going to tell you about one of the ways I did. When I was 26, I finished my master's degree, and I went to a party with classmates to celebrate our graduation. It was so fun to celebrate this milestone together. I chose to enter into this celebration with excessive drinking. This was all very fun and hilarious, until a few days later, I got a call from a classmate. This wonderful woman named Diane from Trinidad, she's about 10 years older than I, she asked me if we could get together. When we met, she said to me something like this, I'm very upset by what I heard went on at that party this weekend. I heard that you got drunk, and I'm very disappointed. Do you not know who you are? Do you not know that you have a mission for Christ? Do you not know that when you speak, people listen? You must live in alignment with who you really are. Put off this foolishness. I felt like I'd been hit in the face with a bucket of ice water. I was pained and mortified, but I knew she was absolutely right. The best thing that could have happened to me as a young woman was to be called to maturity. Reading Paul can feel like a bucket of ice water. Well, let's see if we can also hear that there's a loving hand behind it. Well, let's move to the second list, verse 7. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Slander and obscene talk are actions. Wrath, malice, and anger are thoughts or conditions of the heart. Having an angry thought is not itself a sin. Angry thoughts are normal, necessary thoughts or feelings that show us that a boundary has been violated, a wrong has been done, and I need to be aware of it. I may need to speak or act to protect myself or someone else or even to speak or act to bring correction to a corporate or societal wrong. So when an angry thought comes up, often in response to a real hurt or disappointment or wrong, there is incredible opportunity for great good, for acknowledging and addressing this wrong with proper words and action. There's also potential for real harm and sin. It can become sin when the thought marinates into a state of anger. 
a conscious state of smoldering or seething or rage when this state breaks out in actual words or actions. How is this wrong going to get set right? We can choose life and find creative ways to speak and engage, or we can stew and fester in our own fantasy of tearing down whomever or whatever we view as the offending person or group. We can feed sexual fantasies, we can feed anger fantasies. We might have imagined conversations where we finally set that person right. Stewing anger wants to make someone pay. This again puts you at the center. And you know the places and the people to whom you can go to fuel a smoldering anger. Anger may be our heart's initial and understandable response to an awful situation, but fueling it or letting it come out as slander or obscene talk does not bring life. In these you once walked, put them away. This takes incredible courage to let go of the power you feel sometimes in anger. Lashing out at others to promote or protect myself puts me at the center. The thing these two sins then have in common is us at the center. The fact is, we're really not that interesting. And we're not always right. <laughs> the story with Jesus at the center is fascinating and completely true. I want to live more as if that story is really true and put to death my own version of the story that puts me, my fulfillment, my plans, and myself at the center. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. We can feed the new man with thoughts and actions in agreement with who we are, or we can feed it garbage by thinking and acting as if we're the center of the story. Now we come to the action point, one step you can take to experience the truth of your hiddenness in Jesus. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Do not lie, tell the truth. Another place for courageous surrender is to tell the truth. To no longer lie and tell the truth is one swift and effective way of putting to death sin of any kind. Own it, confess it, and tell another person. Why would I ever do that? To repent and confess is to gain immediate access to the healing, love, and forgiveness of God right here, right now, in that exact place. I shared with you about the sin, uh, my sin the night of my graduation. What I didn't tell you was that I was working here part-time at that time as the coordinator of preschool ministry. And I knew that I had to confess that to my boss, the rector at the time, Stuart. 
I was very scared to do it. I honestly imagined that I would need to publicly confess it to the church. I played it all out in my mind. Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. We have a few announcements this morning. <laughs> this week at Res, what is going on this week at Res? Well, actually, quite a lot. We'd like to invite Margie up to share what's been happening in her life this week. <laughs> I know it is ridiculous. <laughs> And we can all laugh because you can also feel the stab at the idea of your private life somehow being aired in front of the church. You don't have to come and make a public confession. But telling another person is an important step in hiding yourself in Jesus, in the body of Christ. I confessed. I received forgiveness from the Lord, from my pastor. I received practical guidance to put away sin and you can too. To follow Jesus is to utterly trust the Father. That's what Jesus himself did. To trust that if you lay down your life, it will be into the love of the Father. To open your life in this way is to utterly trust him and to let go of knowing what the path will be or what it may cost you or certain things that are not fulfilled the way you thought your life should go. But it's opening your hands into the love of the Father, to the love of Jesus who brings real life, because we know that in Jesus, every death is followed by resurrection and life. This takes courage. You are tucked into his love, and at the end of the day, you will be with the Father. So maybe today you would like to, to name and confess an area of sin in your life in which you've placed yourself at the center or tried to grab your own fulfillment. Or maybe you need the grace to believe that your life, as complex as it is, with outcomes completely out of your control, really is hidden in Jesus. Or maybe you need a blessing for the courage that you are exercising every day. I'd like to pray for you now, but I'd also like to invite you um, during the communion to receive prayer on the side, these very prayers, to receive prayer from your res group, from your friends, from a pastor, to receive the love of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit and Strengthen us to take a step of maturity and growth in you, to open our hearts and lives. Have mercy on us. Show us what to confess or how we can agree more fully with your work in us. We love you and we want to love you more. And we want to see that you are the center of all things. You are in all and through all. And we bless you and we thank you I ask now for the strengthening of these precious people who love you. Would you strengthen them and give them the courage they need? Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. 
For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.